we're reaching the end of this amazing series uh, of Beatitudes we've been doing. And uh, I must say, I don't think I'll ever be the same again after working through and meditating on and, and preaching this message, which has really been radical. It's been radical from start to finish. And um, I think Jesus saves the most radical for last. So as I stand before you this morning, what we are about to enter into in terms of blessed are those that are persecuted, I tell you, we are entering into realms which I feel in myself are so lofty and so out of this world that even as I bring what I feel I have in my hands, I'm really bringing it to you with a sense of weakness before the Lord and saying, God, would you bless it? Because what we are looking at, Jesus says, is so profound. It is the only beatitude where he calls it a double blessing. And I'll read it with you this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted, here it is, for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says it again. He's not finished yet. Verse 11. Blessed, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my, that's it, on my account. Rejoice. <laughs> Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This morning, I am going to divide up this last beatitude into two. And, and this is just week one. Because I believe, because Jesus spends double the amount of time on it, I think we should. And next week, we're going to look at the powerful verse of verse 12 of, being rejoice, of rejoicing and being glad in the midst of persecution. What does it mean? That in the midst of this persecution, your reward is great in heaven. I want us to look at that next week. But this morning really is a very simple and groundwork sort of sermon on what exactly is this thing of persecution? How many of you can feel you can relate to being persecuted here this morning? I don't think many of us. I know for me, I've had to ask myself the question, how much is this a part of my life? Because remember, Jesus says, anybody who follows after me, that is every disciple, that is you and me who call themselves Christian and want to love and follow Jesus, this is something that we are to expect. And so I have to remind myself, nobody who is in the kingdom of heaven is exempt from this experience. And I have to ask myself the question, I'm asking myself this morning and this week, is why is it that I don't experience it often? And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But might I say to you, church this morning, what Jesus is saying here, it is the most profound statement that is possibly in Scripture. He is saying that in actual fact for the Christian, when you are persecuted, rejected, criticized, maligned, falsely accused, it is a time for rejoicing. Rejoicing. And in Luke chapter 6, which is the parallel version of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, he uses Jesus, Luke says, Jesus said, leap for joy. Now, isn't that crazy? 
Anybody here been under the cosh? Has that been the natural response to go, rejoice and be glad? Do you know what also hit me this week? Is thinking, this is the last beatitude. This is the final description of what Jesus says his disciples are like. And he's come full circle. Notice, blessed are the poor in spirit was, for theirs is the kingdom. The last beatitude says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. He says it starts with the kingdom. The highest you can go is receiving the kingdom. And the highest point you can go in your relationship with Jesus is experiencing persecution. Now just push pause there for a moment. My conclusion of somebody who is poor in spirit, who's humble, who is mourning their own sin, they're not glorying in it, who is meek when people attack, you're not attacking back. When you are hungering and thirsting to please Jesus, to please God, hungry and thirsting for righteousness, when you are being merciful to your enemies, when you are seeking to have a pure heart in everything you're doing, when you are seeking to be a peacemaker, don't you think a person like that would be applauded by the world? Is there anything to accuse in a person like that? Your role, and this is why it comes next, as a Christian, my role is to bring shalom, peace. But the very next beatitude is, blessed are those who are persecuted. Can I tell you the profoundness of this beatitude this morning is we have to settle in our minds that becoming more and more like Jesus is going to get us an applause from the world. will not happen. Was anybody more sinless than Jesus? Did anybody love more perfectly than Jesus? Did anybody exemplify the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount more perfectly than Jesus Christ? And was he received and applauded by the world? They crucified him. Can I open you up into my heart this week? Secretly, I have been hoping that as I pursue these Beatitudes, I will get the applause of the world around me and say, isn't that a godly guy? So that even your enemies, even your enemies would say, there's so much of God in that guy's life. Surely we were wrong about him. It will never happen. Do you know in Stephen, there he is, this man, who is radiant through the Holy Spirit, He's been falsely accused at his trial. They are stoning him, and he is radiant in glory. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and he says, look. And as he sees Jesus, he says, he's standing. He says, Father, forgive them. He's forgiving. He's showing mercy even to his enemies. Do you know they still stone him to death? Church, we have to understand something that is groundbreaking in our relationship to this world is that as you seek Jesus and as you go higher in the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom, is that you are not going to receive the applause of the world around you. In actual fact, Jesus says you can expect the rejection of it. And so this morning, I want us to be set free from a false understanding of what the outcome of a real person who follows Jesus is. So that when it comes... You're at peace. 
when it comes, you're not confused. Because for me, that's how I experience this. Is that for anybody who wants to follow Jesus, may I say very clearly this morning, nobody is looking for controversy. Do you know what? All we are doing as Christians is saying, we want to love Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, all of our strength. And that means we want to please everything. We want to love everybody around us. We are looking to be peacemakers. We're looking to be asking God, what are you saying to me in the situation like Wendy shared? What is the Holy Spirit saying? How can I be obedient? We're not looking for persecution. And if you are this morning, you've got it wrong. The Christian does not delight in controversy. In actual fact, it pains them. But what we have to understand is, we don't seek this. It is the byproduct of what Jesus is doing in your life and mine. And I'm going to explain that this morning. And so we must be set free from this understanding, or false understanding, that if we are so pleasing to Jesus, we'll be so pleasing to the world. It is not the case, my friends. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 20, Remember, Sterling, remember the word that I, Jesus, said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Why? Because you never outgrow Jesus. And uh, this morning, may I just put in as an aside for those of us here who are really hungry for more of the Lord. The greater the anointing, the working of the Holy Spirit in your life, the greater the suffering. I'll say it again. The greater the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you, the greater the suffering will be. Jesus, in John chapter 4, verse 34, it is said that Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. There was the Son of God, this anointed. When the dove came down at his baptism, it never left him. But he was the most persecuted and the person who probably suffered the most. And it was the same with the Apostle Paul. The higher, the higher you go in the Lord, the more trouble you will face. Why is that? It's because our flesh cannot cope with the amount of power and glory that comes when the Holy Spirit works powerfully in your life and mine. And what God has to do is, he has to keep us poor in spirit. Paul said it like this, this thorn in the flesh that he experienced. When you are seeing revelations of the third heaven, when you are having theological revelation of truth that he is having, that Romans comes and Corinthians comes and Galatians comes, he is incredibly in tune and illuminated with the Holy Spirit. If that is you, he says, Three times he prayed for this thorn in the flesh to leave him, this trouble. And said, God refused to take it away. It said so that he could cope with what God wanted to give him. And can I say this morning, it is just an aside. Don't be terrified by it. Don't be afraid of it. But if you want more of Jesus, you have to be willing to take how it comes. And let me tell you, the pinnacle of receiving this great reward of this kingdom of heaven, this unhindered Holy Spirit in your life, is experiencing suffering. That's how it comes. Great joy in great weakness. But I'm digressing. What do we mean this morning by persecution? Well, 
Do you know what the Greek means for persecution? It means to be followed. It's, my picture, it's like having a little terrier that wants to come and yap at your, at your heels all the time. It is literally being stalked. Is that you have a person or people that are causing you continuous trouble and annoyance. And the way that they seek to do it is they seek to discredit you. They seek to cause mistrust as to your reputation and your real ability to be trustworthy. And it is designed to punish. It's designed to hurt because it goes for what is so sensitive towards us or sensitive to us, which is our reputation. Tell you what hurts more than anything else in this world. It's when your reputation is being attacked. Not so? That's when we see it being the most difficult for us to respond by not retaliating. The second is, how does this persecution come? Well, it comes through people. They are the instruments. It says, blessed are you when others revile you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, when people hate you. Persecution, we heard it this morning, is not car trouble. It's not health issues. It's not a dispute of a, of a, a work contract. It is the moment when people rise up against you for righteousness sake. And the way it comes primarily, it's important for us this morning to understand it, it's through the mouth. It's through verbal use of this mouth and attacking reputation. Notice what Jesus says. He says the method is to revile, which is to verbally attack, to utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, it's to talk behind the person's back, to create mistrust, to create exclusion, to create a sense of doubt about that person's integrity. Why do I make a point of it this morning? It's because for us here in South Africa, when we hear persecution, we think martyrdom, not so? We don't, we're not like our Chinese brothers and sisters who are facing persecution because of their faith. Or it's not like when you're in Vietnam or one of these areas where, or North Korea, where you are persecuted to the point of death. For us as South Africans, I say to our persecution is largely verbal. It is largely what people say about us because of our love for Jesus. And it's highly personal. It's at the workplace or in families or in church. It is this this space of being reviled and falsely accused for loving Jesus. So persecution is more subtle than just being martyrdom. It can be martyrdom. But I say perhaps some of us are experiencing it more often than what we realize because of what people say about us because of Jesus. And I will tell you this. Why does persecution come after being seeking to be a peacemaker, the previous Beatitudes. Have any of you ever tried to bring peace with an enemy? How did that go? Some of us did not experience success. You experienced persecution. How many of us here this morning have tried to bring peace between two other people and you've stepped in for shalom's sake? Persecution. You set yourself up as a peacemaker for rejection and being misunderstood. 
Can I say one last thing? How many of you here have tried to actively share the gospel in your workplace and family and experienced alarming success? Do you know what the highest form of peacemaking is? I didn't preach on it because there's so much to say each week. It is being one who is ready to share the gospel because we understand that in everything we are doing, where people really need peace is with God. Not so? How do we find that? In Jesus. And I say to you this morning, leave here today and make a commitment to share Christ as often as possible. I'm saying we need to repent of our sin and call people to salvation in Christ. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> right? So this morning, church, we need to understand, the more you live for Jesus, the more you seek to bring this gospel into the world, this gospel into a person's life, you will experience what it means to be rejected, to be misunderstood. And so what is the cause of all of this? What is the cause of persecution? And can I say this morning, this is very important. I'll tell you what persecution is not. Persecution is not being persecuted for a cause. There's a subtle difference here. You might be passionate about Greenpeace. You might be passionate about saving the animals. You might be passionate about a certain political party. You might be passionate about Israel. I tell you, so often we can think persecution is persecution for a cause. You can be passionate about all those things and be unrighteous. You can die for those things and not be what Jesus calls righteous. And I want to be cautious this morning because it's a subtle thing. Righteousness may call for a cause, but a cause might not necessarily be righteous. And so if you have this burning passion to save the environment and do all those good things, there's nothing wrong with that. But I tell you this. The blessing that Jesus is talking about is not for somebody who takes up a cause. It's for somebody who's righteous. There's a difference. It's not for somebody who takes up a political or socio-economic or, or socio-political religious position. And I explain it like this. Some of us feel here that in order to be a Christian, we have to vote for a certain political party. Not so. In America, you have to vote for the Republican Party if you consider yourself to be Christian. Some of us here feel we have to support Israel. If we don't support Israel and the political nation of Israel 100% blindly, we're not Christian. Some of us feel that our Christianity should be attached to a culture, a form, a language, or a race. I tell you, if that's what our understanding of what we're willing to be persecuted for, Jesus is saying it's not that. Can I just slip it in? And that's why you'll never hear politics preached from this pulpit. Because we preach righteousness. That's what we're after. And that is not attached to a cause. And that's important. The second thing is this, is that persecution is not because as Christians, we are seeking to be difficult or objectionable or unwise. Can I be vulnerable here this morning? Some of us know fellow Christians who just love to get up people's nostrils, not so? When they start speaking, you want to go, just keep quiet, just keep quiet, just keep quiet. They live off the thrill of the drama. 
When they walk in, they're busy, they're busy anointing every wall. They're busy praying over tongues. They're busy in your face. Well, did you go to church? If you don't go to church, you're going to hell. There is a certain kind of Christian that loves controversy. Not so. When they are in the room, I want to die. And what do they do to justify that sort of behavior? Is they being persecuted for their faith? Let me tell you, you could say that about the ANC, the ACDP, the DP. People will hate you anyway. Because we're so much in people's nostrils. Not so? Can I say to you this morning, Jesus is very clear that we are called to be peacemakers. That is not causing peace. Certainly not in my world. Because we have to pick up the damages of after you've walked through the room. Can I say this morning, guys, Peter says we are to share the reason for our hope in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, with gentleness and respect. And for some of us, we are intimidated by this persecution because we use those kinds of people as our model, not so? If only we were more bold, if we could only speak more like they do or had more gumption like they do. I say that's not the model we want to pursue. We want to be bold and courageous, yes, but we do it respectfully and with an understanding that this person requires gentleness. And so that is not what persecution is. Please take that out of your mind. Some of you can breathe a sigh of relief. What I want to focus on is this thing of what does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? That's the kicker. That's what we're interested in here. What does it mean to be persecuted for the very righteousness that you are longing for from the fourth beatitude? Remember, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be maligned and rejected. Why are we persecuted for righteousness? Can I explain to you this morning very simply what righteousness is? Righteousness equals Jesus. Jesus explains what this righteousness is in the very next verse in 5 verse 11. He says, blessed are you when others persecute you on my account. And this is the start of where the radical message starts to unpack for us this morning. Do you know that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be radically different? Not because you're trying to be, but because of your responding to a day-to-day relationship with Jesus. Jesus is radically transforming your life. It is so radical that when the world sees you, they go, that is not just a little bit better version of myself. That's going, that is totally different. Can I explain how different it looks? It is somebody who is poor in spirit. Is that how the world operates? Let me tell you, the world prizes pride. The world prizes this ability to be walking to a job interview. You know what they counsel? You've got to be so self-confident. You've got to do this. You've got to say this. You've got to talk up all of your giftings, all of your ability, all of your capacity. I tell you, for the Christian, we are poor in spirit. Read that in a self-help book anyway. We mourn over our sin. Does that sound like somebody who has got it all together? Does that sound like somebody that is, is, a, 
as a, as a world changer, read that in a self-help book. What about somebody who's meek? Let me tell you, when I watch those talk shows, it is fascinating to me how easily people speak their mind. Embarrassingly so. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Being merciful. Having a pure heart. I tell you this, church, if you are wanting to become more like Jesus and pursue him in these beatitudes like I have, I have come to the understanding in my mind, you will never be the same again. And the reason why we have to understand that is because what God is shaping in you and me is not something the world applauds. They don't applaud it. It is totally on another planet in terms of the way that we think and the way that we are motivated and the value system that we live by. Can I say this morning, righteousness is not being slightly better than the person next to us. Can I be honest with you? That's how I see Christianity before this morning. I had to ask myself the question, what do I see as righteousness? And if I'm honest, it's being a bit nicer than the person next to me. It's being a little bit more friendly. It's being a little bit more nice. Where righteousness is, being willing to forsake the applause of the world for the approval of heaven. That's it. And what has to break in us this morning is this. This false understanding of what the end result of what Jesus wants to cultivate in your life and mine. He is not coming and saying, blessed are those that are persecuted because they are nice. Let me tell you, you're never, you're never persecuted because you are nice. You are persecuted because you are different. And righteousness goes much deeper than being nice. I'm going to qualify that. I'm not saying being nasty. That's not what a, a person is. But church, we have to understand this morning that righteousness is being gripped with this desire to please God full stop. Can I put it to you like this? You are so consumed with the applause of heaven. Whether you get the applause on earth or not, it doesn't matter to you. And Jesus put it like this. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish the work he has for me. He was so motivated that when people would leave his ministry, when they would forsake him, the disciples would say, look, Jesus, all these people are leaving you. It doesn't matter. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And I say this morning, church, Paul said it, anybody, anybody who wants to live solely for Jesus, our identity of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, Paul said to Timothy, he was having a hard time. Timothy was feeling sorry for himself. And Paul said to Timothy, my boy, don't forget Anyone, every single person, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I say to you this morning, our problem is we want to be nice. And what I mean by that is we want everyone to like us. Right, so? We want everyone to admire us. And it, we say it like this. They are such a nice person. Can I say this morning, 
righteousness is not interested in being nice. Do you know why? Because if that is the sole understanding of what we are doing, what we're really interested in is whether people like us or not, whether they applaud us. We're not interested in that. Righteousness is a willingness to stand alone for Jesus. And this is more real than what you think. How many of us here have office parties? Well, I did when I worked for pharmacy, right? How many of you have felt the pressure at those office parties when there is raucous behavior and guys are getting totally sloshed and they want to frolic with the women? And you say, I am not going to do that because I love Jesus. Do you know how hard it is to not go with the flow? To be maligned. In your family, you'll be surprised how many people tell me they are criticized for their desire to serve Jesus in their family. You're going to church again? You're reading that black book? There is this continual snapping difficulty of understanding that when I decide to follow Jesus, I am not here to earn the applause of everybody around me. What I'm interested in is the applause of heaven. And that means I'm willing to stand alone. And this morning, do you know what righteousness requires sometimes from us? It requires the feeling of loneliness. Because we can't go with the flow of what is considered to be the norm and what is applauded by the world. It ultimately is bearing the stigma of Jesus. Do you know what that's like? Is this incredible reality of knowing I can't join in with that. And in actual fact, I won't. And the reason is, you see, the world, the world applauds goodness. Oh, goodness me, the time's running out. The world, world applauds goodness and self-sacrifice and nobleness, but it hates righteousness. I'm going to end on this point. Everybody likes a good person. They get Nobel Prizes for it. They get honored in halls of fame. People love self-sacrificing and noble people. Do you know why that is? It's because when they look at a good person, they go, well, I could be like that if I just tried a bit harder. There's no threat that comes from a good person in another person's life. The threat comes from righteousness. Do you know why? Because righteousness exposes what we are really like in our hearts. And I tell you, when a Christian, this is how it works, and this is how I can explain it the best I can, is when a Christian, they're not looking for this, but starts to live with this reality of God in their lives. They start realizing that what they say, do, and think matters to Him. They're seeking to please Him in everything, loving in everything, shame in everything, praise Him in everything. When they start living with this reality of God being in their life, I tell you, it starts to make people uncomfortable. Do you know why? Not because they're looking for it but because God is so real in their lives and he's so transforming and shaping them. I tell you, a person who lives like this in the Beatitudes, they are never the same again, that the world and the worldly person looks on and says, this thing is real. God is real. And this person seeking to live right with God is highlighting how I am not right with God. And that's where persecution comes in. You can't help it. 
You can't help it, Christian. You cannot help being persecuted because when you are so focused on the reality of God in your life and living for Him and worshiping Him and praising Him and doing whatever you can for Him, this reality of your righteousness starts to shine light on the unrighteous heart. Let me tell you, there's nothing more than the world hates than being told that God is real, that their life is accountable to Him and what they do matters to Him. What we want, the epitome of sin, is freedom, unfettered freedom to indulge the flesh, to live like we want, to do what we want, to have our way in everything. Let me tell you, when a Christian who loves Jesus comes into the arena, that's a game changer. Because this person cannot get away from the reality of God. This person's changed. He's totally different. She's totally different. This person of Jesus Christ has changed them. And when that starts to happen... Watch that space. Because whether you like it or not, the convicting power of your righteousness is shining into the heart of this person. And let me tell you, the conscience is more sensitive of a human being than what you think. When you start to live for Jesus, people will start to see how far away they are from him. And that is where the tension starts to arise, my friends. Never forget what the Pharisees experienced in Jesus' presence. When they saw Jesus live his life and preach his message, it exposed their self-seeking, self-serving, self-righteous religion. Did Jesus want to do that intentionally? Did he have an agenda against the Pharisees? No. And can I say this morning, sometimes the persecution, more often than not, comes from fellow Christians. Nominal Christians. Christians who are unspiritual. Church. What we need to realize is Jesus is transforming us into something radically different. You can't help it. And can I ask the question to me this morning of why I don't experience much persecution in my life or for many years? It is because I've come to the conclusion that I need to check where my relationship with God is. Not that I want it or expect it. But if it never happens, am I really any different? That's the question. And I just have to start at the first attitude and say, Lord, I'm coming to you and being poor in spirit. I say, Lord, am I really any different? And then I don't go and try and be different. I focus on the one who makes me different. I come back to my first love and say, Jesus, I want to be more radical in my devotion and loyalty to you, full stop. Watch that space. Watch it. The Christian isn't trying to be. The Christian is changing because of this passion to love Jesus. The very next section we're dealing with is, do you know what God calls you? Jesus calls you. He calls you his people salt. Ever had a mouth ulcer and had a salty meal? It burns like heck. Hey? Ever had a meal without salt? It's as bland as anything. Can I tell you, there is this duality to our faith. Christians, we're not going in, I'm coming to be persecuted. We have the joy of the Lord. Where the church is alive, there is joy. There is peace. If you look at culture and music and science and philosophy, these things have been shaped by a church alive. Salt brings flavor, but salt, oh, it brings burning. It's from the best antiseptics known to man. You're called light. Light brings warmth illumination, beauty. You can see me because of these wonderful bulbs. But it also exposes 
And so don't be shocked as you live and love Jesus that things are awakened in people's lives that there's a reaction to. Jesus said this. He said, Everyone who does wicked things hates the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so if your motivation, I end here, if your motivation is to live and love Jesus. You want to love everybody, everywhere, as best as you can under his authority. You are dedicated, devoted, living for him, and persecution comes. My friend, don't take it personally. It is anger at the reality of the one you are bringing into the world. His name is Jesus. And he confronts, and he exposes he brings life and reality through you that there is such a thing as a God in heaven that one day we're going to meet and stand face to face before your righteousness becomes light and salt to the world around you. If that is you, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are congratulated beyond all else. There's a double blessing on you. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If this is the way you live, you are moving forward in God. You are experiencing and becoming like Jesus more than you ever have done before. And the world is recognizing it. But so is heaven. Next week we'll look at what does it mean to experience this kingdom of heaven poured out in great reward. Let's pray. Father, this morning we want, we want to embrace this identity of being a disciple of Jesus. Lord, we are so focused and fixed and understand what it means to live for you, that we are willing to forsake the applause of the world for the applause of heaven. I pray this morning that we would have this image of simply being a little bit better or a little bit nicer or a little bit more applauded by the world, being smashed in us. Lord, devotion to Christ leads us into areas where we would never have thought we were gone. As we seek to love everybody everywhere, as we seek to love you, Lord, we are setting ourselves up to be misunderstood, to be rejected, to be cast aside. But I pray in that moment, I pray that, Lord, we would forsake the need for the applause of the world for the applause of heaven. And I pray that this morning, Lord, we would see the true depth of change you are calling us to. It is radically different to the world around us. It looks different, sounds different, feels different, thinks differently. And I ask for that difference to be present here in us. May we be transformed into an ever-increasing likeness of you, Jesus. And be unashamed as we do so. In your precious and perfect name. Amen.